All right, well, we've been trekking through the, the book of Ezra here, and we are in chapter 7 tonight, which is a transitional chapter. In fact, if you look at verse 1, it says, Now after these things, and you would think, okay, after these things, it's, it's a very common phrase in the Bible, after what things? Well, the things that come before it, which is really the first six chapters. And of course, we know that was the return uh, to the land. Uh, they rebuilt the altar to offer their sin offerings at first, and then they laid the foundation of the temple uh, to rebuild the temple, and then trouble came, and there was just... Uh, this time of discouragement and attacks by the enemy and uh, discouraging them from uh, rebuilding it. And then um, uh, we know that uh, Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, came along and really encouraged the people, no, you can't just put this off. And, you know, you, you've been, you, you, you put it off and then you put it off and then now pretty soon it's just... It's like way down the list of spending time rebuilding the place where you meet me, a place of worship, spending time, you know, worshiping me and in, 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 in presence together, all of us. And, uh, you know, you've been kind of just building your own kingdoms, your own houses, your own businesses, your own life. And, and uh, so it encourages them and spurred them on and they, they built the temple, even though, again, there was uh, threats and and those wanting to shut it down, uh, they uh, continued to build. And then we know eventually uh, they came back from the Persian king. Yeah, let them go ahead and build it as a matter of fact. So the temple has been built now. Uh, and really, when it says after these things, it's really a gap of about 60 years, about 57 to be, to be accurate. So um, it, it, it seems, uh, you know... Maybe like uh, after these things, okay, they're done, the temple's being built, and then this happens, but it's quite a gap of time. Um, we can look at our chart again, and, and again, that you know, the, the, on the line, the top line there, the, the timeline, we can see where they started the temple, uh, and then they finished it, you know, around 516. You can see down the way a little bit, Haggai and Zechariah. Um, you know, prophesying during that time as we talked. And then if you look at the far right now, you'll see at the top where Ezra is coming back, and that's where we find ourselves here in chapter 7. And this is the same time where Malachi now is going to be preaching. And of course, um, you know, if, uh, if we could put it all together in chronological order, it would be a great time to study through the book of Malachi. So again, uh, your assignment for this week if you want or the next week or two is to read the book of Malachi again it's a very short book and uh, it'll give you some setting of what's going on during this time it'll particularly have more application when we get to chapters uh, 9 and 10 of Ezra it kind of just gives us the heart of the people and what God is encouraging them to do and where they really kind of are spiritually and so uh, Malachi kind of comes on the scene to encourage them and get them back on track and then we just have this other chart. Again, I think it maybe helps a little bit. So we have the captivity, and then the temple is rebuilt in that first block of time under Zerubbabel. And now you see the gap, it says, in between that, a 57-year gap, and now the return of Ezra and what's going to happen uh, you know, during his period of time. And it really the last chapters, uh, 7 through the end of the book, is really just a couple of years in time. And then there's another short gap, and then Nehemiah is going to come back, and we'll talk about that when we get to the, the book of Nehemiah. And so also in between the gap of these 57 years is this, and I think it's kind of demonstrated pretty well in this slide. You notice that we have chapters 1 and 2. We talked about the census and the journey, and then 3 through 6. And then between chapters 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra, the book of Esther takes place. And so we can see you know, during that time when we get to the book of Ezra, uh, Esther right after Nehemiah, um, she, she takes place right in those years. So she was married to Xerxes, if you follow that, that text running down where it says Esther there. And um, you know, then the next one on the Persian throne, his son is Artaxerxes, which is the king we're going to be dealing with, and you can see his name 
there on the chart in the final part of the book of, of Ezra. So again, kind of an unusual transition there uh, between chapter 6 and chapter 7. A number of years, Esther, the whole story of Esther takes place. Um, and uh, again, it's about a 57, you know, 60 year time gap here. Um, so uh, that's kind of where we are after those things was quite a bit of time after those things. And now we really kind of, you know, the book is named after Ezra, who, you know, uh, it's long, it's pretty long established that, uh, you know, the most Jewish historians and Christians believe, you know, the name of the book Ezra was written by Ezra. And so now he actually comes on the scene. This is his first time coming on the scene uh, of, of the book that would bear his name. So, and a lot of, um, again, historians believe that, uh, that he also wrote the books of uh, second, uh, first and second chronicles as well. So, along with this, and so we we actually see him now come on the scene uh, during this uh, time. And then verse one goes on to say, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. So this is this next king that we'll again spend some time with because this is the same. Persian ruler not only comes uh, is on the throne when when Ezra now is going to be heading back to to the to Jerusalem, but also this is the same king who Nehemiah serves as the cupbearer. So when we get to the book of Nehemiah and he hears that the walls are still down and the temple's built, but the city's still in ruins, and he has a heart to go back there, and he's the cupbearer. He's uh, maybe like the personal servant. To the king, uh, cupbearer had a number of different roles depending on the monarchy, but it was a very respected position because he had very close access to the king, and he's the one that he asked to go back to rebuild the walls. Him and uh, so that's the same king Artaxerxes that will 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 spend uh, the rest of this book and the book of Nehemiah uh, talking about. It's the same Persian king, and uh, he'll he'll be on the scene for a while. I also think it's important that we see how the Lord uses these Persian kings. Um, you know, we, we saw that last week when there was some discouragement and, and they, you know, through the preaching of Haggai particularly, you know, they were encouraged Zerubbabel and, and Joshua the high priest were to, you know, let's get back to it. Yeah, we need to get back to it. And then, you know, uh, some of the rulers from the Persian uh, that were from the Persian Empire that were in that land there that ruled for them. Again, try to discourage them, but they sent a letter back and then they, you know, came back with um, with the note, no, let them go ahead and do it. Yep, Cyrus did decree it and let them do the work. Don't get in their way. And it just shows us whether it's that time or Cyrus's time or this time with Artaxerxes as we read about what he does in the book of Ezra and in the book of Nehemiah. It just reminds us that, uh, you know, God's in control of those who rule today. And in other words, He has the final say-so. You know, His will is going to be accomplished through those people, um, whether they're believers or not, whether they realize it or not, whether they want to or not, um, whatever it might be. Again, you know, our Heavenly Father has the final say-so to accomplish His will on this earth and he uses whatever or whoever is in power to accomplish that. I just we just need to remember that, particularly as the as our leaders get more and more, well, farther away from the things of the Lord, or even I I would say is go as far as quite quickly saying evil. You know, a lot of them are just evil. Um, I don't know if you've caught the news just uh, yesterday or it was today. I can't even remember, but our our wonderful, um, one of our senators uh, from the state of California, Senator Feinstein, as a matter of fact, uh, when they were, you know, this whole Roe versus Wade, the whole abortion thing is going through the Supreme Court. They had just finished the arguments or finishing the arguments, and they think, you know, it'll be overturned in some way, or at least the media likes to hype all that up, just like the COVID virus, you know, they just blow these things way up. You know, um, but anyway, she made a statement today, and I quote is that she says, she said that, 
you know, uh, because the law of Mississippi is that you, you can't have an abortion after 15 weeks. And her comment to the media was, she said that at 15 weeks, the baby is not human. It's exactly what she said. The baby is not human at 15 weeks. So there we go. With the great authority, Diane Feinstein, our, our senator, says that, you know, even though the baby's got a pulse and anyway, you know, I could go on and on and on about that. But, it, you know, it's, it's not human. Uh, that's the determination she makes. Uh, it it's belongs to the woman. It's just like if your nails were too long and you, you didn't want them to grow any farther, you can cut them off. I mean, that's how they kind of... Uh, want to term, you know, pregnancy these days. And of course, then our governor, um, again, uh, you know, Newsom, uh, um, you don't like using the term evil loosely, but boy, I, <laughs> he, you know, jumps up the gun saying that we're going to make California an abortion state. And if you want to have an abortion, and if it's, you know, if it's, you're limited and, you know, you're 36 weeks or whatever, I'm just kind of exaggerating there, but who doesn't matter whatever you are and you, do, you want that baby dead, we're going to provide a place for you. As a matter of fact, we'll use uh, our tax dollars to transport you out here and put you up in a hotel and even pay for it. That's what uh, the wonderful governor of the state of California said today at his news conference. Um, and, uh, you know, you get frustrated. You hear these things and you see just how evil they are and how, how against the things of God they are and not just in this, but in so many areas. And uh, it can be very discouraging. You know, on the local level, we, our local level is just as bad. And the, our state level, a lot of problems on the national level. And of course, and you go, you know, on the world level, you just see the evil. And it can be t pretty discouraging, but just remember this. Again, our Heavenly Father is in control, and He rules over, and He has the final say-so. And though He gives people a free choice and a free will to do many things, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, the direction, you know, a group of people, a nation, this and that, uh, and those that have extreme power in certain countries, you know, He's going to accomplish His will as He sees fit. And we just need to remember that and put our hope and our trust, Lord. We don't see how this is all going to work out, but you do tell us things are going to get worse. But in the end, what you say is going to happen is going to happen. And so we, we just put our trust in you as the days grow darker and darker, as we know we we're told that. And so just in our, as in our day, in this day, you know, God's using, uh, moving the hand of Artaxerxes. And so in his reign, and then it goes on to say, Ezra, the son of, and you'll notice all the way through verse 5, he gives his genealogy, the son of Sarah, I'll just kind of bumble through these names, Sarahiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mithriath, the son of Zeruiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Bukiai, the son of Abisha, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Now, interestingly enough, Ezra just gives his pedigree here, if we'd say today, or, you know, his family tree, I guess, is probably more accurate. I guess pedigree they use for animals, maybe. <laughs> but, um, you know, they give, uh, you know, who he's descended from. And that was important because what he's saying here is, uh, listen, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, and there was skips in the generations, by the way. He didn't list every single uh, generation there. Uh, but I'm descended from Aaron, which was the, from the tribe of Levi, because Moses and Aaron, uh, his brother, came from the tribe of Levi, you know, generations down. And, um, and then everybody from the line of 
Levi was able to serve at the temple in a number of different capacities. And if you were the son or the descendants of Aaron, then you were in the priestly ministry. And so what he is saying is basically, you know, my family tree uh, is that I am from the priestly family. And the high priest usually went to the oldest. Um, and there are some places in here where that's not the oldest son, although the, the, his, his first mention of his dad, uh, Syriah, was actually the last reigning high priest. So he is from the priestly line, and, and that's what he's trying to say here. Now, you may say, well, why is that such a big deal? I mean, why do we have these lists of names here? And why do they go on and on and on and on and on and on? Well, uh, again, um, it had everything to do with your family. And, um, and, and as it is in a lot of places in the world today, you know, the, the Jews particularly was important, and it was particularly important at this time when they were out of the land and they're going back to the land. Because remember, um, first of all, uh, you had to prove who your lineage was to serve and work in the temple area. I don't know if you remember just a few weeks back when we were talking about that that first journey of Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, and they list all those names in those chap that chapter. You saw all their names and everything. And then at the very end, there was a group of people who couldn't uh, prove who their family lineage was. And they said, well, we're part really of the, of the temple workers. We're part of the Levites, and some of us are part of the, the priestly line. But, but, you know, well, well who, how do you connect it back? Well, we can't really connect it all back. Well, we can't really let you do that until we can make sure that's that's truly who what your line is from so you know they were pretty uh, god was pretty specific about who could serve in the temple but also equally as important to probably everybody else if not more important is their family lands um you, you know you were given a plot of land your great 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 ancestors <laughs> Uh, when Joshua brought them into the promised land in the, in the ensuing years, the land was divided up by the group, so you, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and then, you know, all of their children, uh, you know, those family lines that came down from them. And so each family had a plot of land, and, you know, obviously some bigger than others, some in different parts of the, of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, the country there. But that was yours. Uh, you know, it goes back generations and generations and generations, and that was yours. And so if you knew who you were, you know, your family was, then you could say, yep, yeah, this is my land. And when you got back from Babylon to, you know, the promised land to Israel, then, you know, you could say, yep, yeah, this is my land. This is, you know, whatever's there and whatever's built on that, that, you know, that belongs to me. And so it was important. They could trace back their family lands. And uh, uh, so, so knowing who you came from was, was really important, but also kind of difficult. Notice that Ezra was a skilled scribe, which means he could read and write, which was very uncommon in those days. You know, I was kind of curious about how common it was to be literate. And I found this chart on literacy.org, by the way, and this chart goes back to um, 1475. So we're not even talking, you know, we're talking 2,000 uh, years before this chart even begins, right? Okay, so <laughs> the time we're talking about is way before this. But just, just to give you some sense, in 1475, less... Um, the, the bottom figure, the one that's a little, little bit above zero, by the way, that's, that's uh, United Kingdom. That, that was England. And less than 5% of the people at 1475 could read or write. Now, interestingly enough, the higher line is actually the Netherlands. Uh, that, just them, right? J just those guys. And for some reason, they Netherlands had literacy before others. But then if you notice excluding the United Kingdom or England and, and the Netherlands, the other countries don't even make it on the, on the chart until after the 1800s. I mean, there's like, we're talking zero or so low that, you know, you just couldn't even put a good percentage on it. And that 
again, that's only a couple hundred years ago from, from us um, that literacy uh, was there. So for Ezra to you know, be able to read and write was very uncommon, of course, to find his family tree was probably a lot easier because he could read the documents. Can you imagine if you're going back to the land and, and you want to find out, okay, who's my great-grandfather, you know, so I know where the land is. And what did you have to rely on in those days? Whoever the low, oldest real, living relative was, right? So you had to go to grandpa. Hey, grandpa, who was your grandpa? What? Who was your grandpa? What? <laughs> you know, can you imagine you had to rely on, you know, the oldest person in the family? Well, I think it was, you know, I know how my memory's getting, right? We could say amen to our, as we get older, I was saying something the other day, I couldn't even remember what I was saying as I was talking. Can you imagine you have to rely on that? Well, I think his name was, uh, you know, and again, uh, so it was difficult. And, uh, you know, to have, um, to have that written down was actually, uh, and, and to be able to see it was pretty good because if not, you just have to go on memory and you have to trust the oldest person and then everybody have to remember where they came from. And so, um, again, the family lineage and why God puts those things in the Bible is for a number of reasons. One is because he knows everybody and that's certainly one of the things is. But in this case, it's particularly important because it's all about position and property. You know, your, your work and what you have available. And so, again, uh, rather than relying on verbal information, he didn't have to go to great-grandpa and ask him, you know, who was, who was your great-grandpa and who's our line and who was it traced back and have them try to remember and all this kind of stuff. So uh, uh, Ezra had that advantage. And, and again, um, a scribe typically for the Jews would be... Uh, uh, typically, they would be copyists, where they would write and copy the scriptures. So they did other things, certainly. But you know, uh, one of the things were, especially in the priestly role, was that you know they would copy the the book of the law, the, with the Bible. They would copy the Old Testament. They would copy the scriptures, right? Particularly the law. And so that's what the that's what a scribe would do. And so that's what he would do. Now, when I, I say he was a scribe, that might like just ring a little bell, particularly because we've been going over the Sunday morning in the Gospel of Luke. But remember, in Jesus' day, the scribes were against Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, the Ezra was kind of the start of that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. He was a completely different man than what they ended up and developed into during the day of Jesus. During the day of Jesus, if you were a scribe or an expert in the law, as they're also referred to in, in the Gospels, you know, they were against Jesus and, uh, you know, quite the opposite of, of Ezra. So, you know, if you hear the word scribe and you kind of think negative things, it's because truly in Jesus' day, that's what they developed into. But... Um, uh, not not Ezra. And again, read that verse 6, and it says, And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. So, I think this is a great thing to note and to underline and to spend a little time thinking about. Why was he so skilled in the word of God? Because he spent time writing it down over and over again. He spent time in the Word of God, and he spent time writing, in his case, about or writing the Word of God. And I think there's so many important lessons for us to learn, and I think it's true today. Um, we, we all know this to be true, right? If we want to learn something or remember something or keep things straight, what do we do? We, we write it down. You know, uh, again, if you were in school or if you're in school and you, you know, you're, you're there and the, and the teacher is going over something, you know, you write notes, you take notes. 
at work, you know, the boss tells you to do something, you write it down, right? You write down what he, what he wants you to get done. Or if you're at a meeting, you take meeting notes, you know, so you can keep track of what you need to do or what was said or some important dates or times or appointments. We write these things down so that we can have a record of them and, you know, look back at them and remember and be reminded and all those things. It's something that we do really without much thought today. Um, and we do that in many areas of our lives. But the question is, how do we work when it comes to the Word of God? Are we the same way? Um, you know, do we have paper and pencil ready when we come to church or when we read the Bible or when we pray? And the question is, how important is it for us to remember and to know? What well, we do that at work or we do that if we have a doctor's appointment or if we're meeting with somebody or if we have this event and we write it down and we take notes or the boss tells us to do something we do it in many different areas you know maybe it's a, a procedure of something we have to do so we write down you know the steps of the procedure or whatever it might be and again you know however we write them down you know we do that so naturally in so many areas, but when it comes to the Word of God, do we treat it and handle it that same way? Um, do we have paper and pencil ready for the Lord to speak to us when we're at church like in a time like this, or when we're reading just the Bible, or when we're spending time in prayer? Again, how important is it for us to remember and to know these things? Now, it might be seen kind of foreign today because so many churches, people don't even bring their Bibles with them because, you know, they'll put a, a uh, they'll go through one verse or two verses uh, at the most, maybe a little bit more. They'll put a slide up or something like that, or they'll just mention it once and move on. And so people aren't even used to bringing a Bible with them for a, a large part, sadly, let alone thinking about making sure I have a pencil or I have some papers or I have a Bible that has wide margins, or I take my notes, and you know, however it works out for you, I'm, I, you know, don't, um, y you know, that that's great. But again, I, I just think it's something we need to think about, something we need to put into effect, and how important it is for us to remember, and uh, you know, be reminded and and be skilled in in the Word of God, as as Ezra was here. Listen, I don't say this to anybody's shame, and I'm not trying to put anybody down, but it's just a matter of, uh, of, of putting that priority on. Because sometimes you think, well, I can't really remember where that verse is, or what did this say, or what did that do? And then I would say, well, yeah, if you try to remember all the appointments or people you have to meet with or all the events you have to do, and you, had to, and you have to try to keep them all in your mind memorized, I mean, how good would you, would you do? How many of those appointments would you make? How many of those things... Would you remember how many steps in the procedure, you know, would you remember? Well, probably not too many, but doesn't that same thing kind of apply when, when we're in the Word of God? I just think it's great to get in the habit of having pen and paper, you know, when we come before the Lord, whether it's at church, whether we're reading our Bible on our own, uh, whether we're praying, or those important things that we, you know, when the Lord speaks to us, we, we're ready scribes. We're ready to write it down. And so we can be reminded and remember and all those important things, just like Ezra here. And, and since Ezra was ready, um, you know, he was used in a great way. Um, you know, he's gonna, he is going to be ready. You know, he's prepared. He's been working on the heart of... Of God, I don't know how old he was when, you know, Zerubbabel and and Joshua came back in the first, you know, group. I don't know if he was born quite yet, uh, you know, or if he was a young man at that time. I, you know, I don't know uh, exactly uh, his age, but you know, he prepared himself for when the time was right for him to come back. And again, how about us? Are we preparing ourselves for when we do have to share the gospel? Or the Lord wants to use us in this way? Or we want to encourage these people? And we know there's great verses that speak to this, but I can't really remember. You know, we just want to be ready. 
And in his case, notice it goes on to say, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Again, it doesn't tell us directly, but Ezra you know, wanted to go back to Jerusalem to be in the land. And again, he didn't go with the first group and probably because he wasn't born or he was too young or something. And, uh, and again, but, you know, and I, I think others had came back to the land. I, I don't believe there was just two groups coming back. I believe smaller groups of people would trickle into the country over the years. I, 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 I believe that. But, uh, you, you know, even though they're not recorded, but... But again, Ezra knew the heart of God was he wanted his people back in the land, you know. And as a matter of fact, um, it's out of order here, but um, Zechariah, who I was telling one of the prophets, you know, that was, that was speaking, says this in uh, chapter 2, verse 6. He said, the Lord says, come, flee from Babylon in the land of the north, For I have scattered you to the four winds. Come away, people of Zion, you who are exiled in Babylon. And so, you know, one of the encouragement was, and, and, you know, things are going to change in Babylon. And and certainly they did. The Persians took over, and then the Persians are going to lose power, and the Greeks are going to take over. Alexander is going to come through not too long after this and and do all that. But again, the the heart of the Lord was for, for you to get back into his will, get back into the land, get back to where he has you, you know, uh, and has his people. Um, And again, the illustration breaks down at some point, but, you know, in the same way, maybe think of it this way, if that's a little hard to understand, you know, the Lord wants you in church. You know that. That's, That's not a debate. You know, he's called the church, he created the church, he established the church, he wants us to fellowship in the church, he wants us to gather together, he gives us gifts to work as a body, gives different parts, hands, eyes, ears, nose, legs, feet, toes, all that kind of stuff, right? It's a body, that's what he calls the church, we work together in it. It's like, you know, there's just not any question, there's not any argument, you know, um, scripturally, that... He has called his children, the believers, to gather together in a body in a church. Now, wherever that might be for you, uh, you know, because of, you know, where, you know, again, there's a number of churches and God allows a number of churches in each community, but he's called you to be in one and be a part of one. And it's kind of in the same kind of way, you know, God called them to be in the land, not to be in Babylon. And, of course, Zechariah said this. And so he's ready. He knows what the word is. He knows we should be back there. And, you know, we're heading back there. And the Lord's blessed him. He's ready to be used. He's given, you know, the king, uh, granting him all his requests. And uh, we'll read in a little bit and even in the next chapter that he was given valuables, given money, helped to pay for this and do things when they get back to the land. And then there was generosity, generosity. they had government support, we'd say today. Uh, you know, some nonprofit groups, not churches, but nonprofit groups, you know, always are vying for government money and grant money to do this and build this and have that. And the idea was that, that, you know, that money came rolling in here. And so, you know, God's request was, uh, or he, his request was granted not only to go back, but to bless him. And we'll read about here in a little bit how much he gave him. And so uh, verse 7 says, Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Verse 8, And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Now, when we get to chapter 8, we'll have a big listing of the first, I don't know, 14 or so verses, have the groups of the people's family names that will go back with him. But notice it was a four-month journey. 
He left on the first day of the first month and didn't get there till the first day of the fifth month. Now let's go back a slide. Sorry, I got my slides out of order. But that bottom uh, color is the route that Zerubbabel take. Uh, I'm sorry, that Ezra took. The top one was the, the route they took the very first time where Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, they kind of took the high road, took even longer to get there. Um, uh, you know, over 900 miles, um, and uh, they took a little shorter route. That, that parallels the Euphrates River for quite a bit, by the way. So you always had fresh water, but it's a lot longer than you came down and followed uh, the mountains, the streams that come out of what would be modern-day uh, Syria and Lebanon today, and they kind of follow down into Jerusalem. They kind of took a little shorter route, uh, a little bit more deserty in some areas there, um, but took four months. That's a commitment. <laughs> That's just taking time. That's not talking about walking every day for so many miles, which most of them had to do. Uh, no cars. Uh, you know, uh, it, we'll find out in chapter eight that there was a fear of people robbing them along the way. Uh, taken advantage of them. They were very uh, fearful. They were praying, seeking the Lord. We'll talk about it in chapter 8. You know, that people were just, there was a, a rope, uh, you know, the huge road that everybody traveled and bands of robbers could, could come in and, and take them. And, and so there was that threat. There was just the hard work it was to camp every night for four months. And then, you know, and then making all the travel in between. I mean... Just think about it. Just If you just took that alone with nothing else, I mean, what have we ever done four months straight for the Lord? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of mission, you know, short-term missions, maybe you go out for a week or two or three weeks, you know, but, you know, then you get to come back home, and typically it's not roughing it too bad, although there is certainly places where you have to rough it pretty. But, you know, four months just of hard work, you know, just to get back, you know, just shows you, you know, how, you know, willing they were to, okay, Lord, this is where you want us. I'm, I'm, I'm re re relocating my whole life, and it's not going to be an easy journey to get there, but, Lord, I know this is what you've called me to do. I know this is what your word says and, and your will is, and I'm ready to do it. Again, you know, just compare it with us today. I mean, I just have a hard time getting up for church on Sunday morning. Or, you know, just reading my Bible is just so difficult, you know. I can't seem to get doing it or praying. And, I'm, and I think, okay, and I understand, you know, there's good days and bad days, and we all have this and that and everything. But, you know, then I compare it to something like this, and I think, man, you know... Uh, We've been given so much that even like a simple thing of reading a couple chapters in the Bible or making it to church one day a week and heaven help you if it's two days, two times a week or something or doing this, you know, or, or serving or helping out in some way, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's this huge, you know, sacrifice or something. And yet, you know, when you read the scriptures, it's... It kind of humbles us all, and we realize, you know, how good we have it and how little maybe we do sacrifice and how much we complain so quickly um, compared to just something as simple as this one act here. Well, it goes on in, in verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Man, if that's not an underlinable or highlighting verse for you, I, I'm not sure what is. Let me, let me just put it in the uh, New Living Translation. Maybe that helps you get a little better feel for it. And it says, For the gracious hand of God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord, and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Why did God use him in such a mighty way? And again, we're just getting into his life. Um, again, we'll, we'll read more about him in the coming, coming weeks. 
we've been studying really what God used him for in First and Second Chronicles for months previously before we got to Ezra here. So we have some sense of, of what God did in and through him, and we will even more in the details coming up in the weeks as we read more. But I just can't help but think how, how um, what, what a great example Ezra is for us here. And I think there's three essentials for anyone who wants to make an impact on others with the Word of God listed here. Three essentials. If you want to make an impact, with the Word of God in the lives of other people. And here it is. It's so simple, right? First, we seek the Word of the Lord. You know, this means the full impact of God's Word. Um, You know, it's something we seek after, and we diligently seek His Word and fellowship with Him in His Word. I I mean, the the first thing is essential. If you want to know, if you want to, you know, Continue to share your faith and to grow. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about... Now, this is certainly true for, I believe, you know, pastors and leaders and Bible study leaders and even, you know, you teach children's ministry or youth ministry. I think, you know, these are all essential of all that. But even if that doesn't fit in where the Lord has you, you know, there, there's, just, there's, there's just so much application in, in the Christian life in this. How can we minister to others when God brings a, a co-worker who's, whose spouse is you know, really sick and we, we have an open door to minister to him? And you know, how well do we know what the Word says and stories of people? Or you know, somebody asks us a question about our faith, how well do we know the Word and, and the heart of God to share with them? You know, these things come up in everyday life and they have applications. So it's so important that we seek the Word of God. You know, last year we, uh, we really wanted to kick off the um, reading the Bible and um, the Bible using the Bible Project, right? It's called the Bible Project. And starting it off in January, and then we just didn't, and, uh, you know, things happened. We kind of, as a family, got COVID last Christmas, and things just kind of, you know, we were down for weeks, and it just didn't happen. But, you know, we're really you know, continue to, to pray for us is just to come up with a, a, something that you can have on your phone. It's, it's available, you know, as a church, you know, you can do it ind- independently and just get reminders every day. And, you know, we're just going to start small, just get through the, the whole New Testament in a year. Um, uh, you know, and, and it, you know, you can participate in that. We can leave little notes to one another. We can just read through the scripture of the day, and you can download it on any on any phone. And uh, I think it's a great way to to start. You know, if you if you haven't been consistent, and once you get consistent, it, you know, it, it just routine gets easier in our lives for for anybody. You know, I I learned years ago, guys, to just. I need to go through the whole Bible once a year, and it's it's just something I've been doing for I don't know thirty plus years now, and it's it's not a difficult thing for me because it's just kind of how what life is for me, and um, and and I know some of you haven't kind kind of kind kind of quite got there yet, and I know you want to, and so hopefully we can get this thing together, but. No matter how or whatever happens, it's something we just need to do. Seek the Word of God. Again, essential for us that want to have an impact with the Word of God in the life of others. Then secondly, it's pretty obvious, we maybe be your duh moment, but to do it, right? You know, he sought with all his heart the law and to do it. This means the full impact of God's word is made by those who not only hear it, you know, we're reading it, we're hearing it, uh, we're listening to messages, we're reading God's word, we're talking to others about God's word, but then we're actually doers of the word, not just hearers. It needs to be lived, not just known. It has to be lived not just known. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that miss heaven because of what they know and not what they've lived. I I think we talked about this on Sunday very clearly with Judas. 
The guy knew as much as anybody living at that time about the Word of God and what was true and what was right, spending all that time with Jesus, and yet that did not give him a ticket to heaven by any stretch of the, of, of the imagination, as we talked about on Sunday. You know, it has to be lived, not just known. Well, I've been to church. I've learned that. I've read this. That's not enough. It has to have an impact on our lives. And of course, the New Testament says this in many places. I'll just put, you know, James 1.22 up. It says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, you think just because I know that's enough. And you think that's good enough, but that's called self-deception. If it doesn't have application, then people say, well, you really don't believe it. You know it, but this doesn't have any impact on you. That means it's, it doesn't really have any value to you. And third, it says to teach. This means the full impact of God's word is made by those who actually teach others. What is learned and seeking and what is experienced in doing must be put into effect through teaching God's word. And again, not just a church, but a person as well. And yes, it's true for people that teach the word of God. They, they have to know it. They have to live it. And, and certainly then, you know, but when, when, you, when you know it and you're, and, you, and you're seeking it and you're desiring to do it, 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 it flows out of you naturally to want to share that with others. It just That's just the result of it. It really is. You just have this desire to share what God has poured into your life and what He's doing. And I think that's so important that we see that. And verse 10 is just essential to what, uh, you know, the Christian life, whether, you know, the life of God, knowing the Word of God, applying the Word of God, seeking the Word of God, teaching, just, you know, here it is in the Old Covenant as well, illustrated in a wonderful way by Ezra. Okay, so he had the heart and he, you know, was willing and able to, to and know what God's plan was to go back. He gets with the king. The king says, yeah, no problem. And then pretty much the rest of the, the book here is just the letter given to Ezra by King Artaxerxes, giving him permission to do that. And let's, we'll kind of finish up quickly here reading this. So verse 11 says, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, the expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. I mean, look what even the king knows about this guy. He, he knows it, he lives it, and man, he's, he's sharing it, right? Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe in the law of God of heaven, perfect peace and so forth. Verse 13 says, I also decree that all those of the people of Israel and priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. So this proclamation is going out. Hey, anybody that wants to go, man, you're free to go. It doesn't matter if you live over here, you live over there, you live wherever, you know, um, you know, you wherever it is in the whole realm, which is pretty much where all the people were dispersed, whether it was the the northern tribes of Israel early on, hundreds of years earlier, or under Babylon later on, you could all go back. No one is forced, free will, just kind of like the gospel, right? God doesn't twist anybody's arm. There's an invitation set out. Are you going to receive the free gift of salvation through what Jesus did on the cross? You know, the invitation goes out, free will here. And then verse 14, and whereas you were being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And whereas you are to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel who dwell in Jerusalem. And whereas the silver and the gold that you may find in all the provinces of Babylon, along with all the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs 
uh, with their grain offerings and with their drink offerings and offer them on an altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before God, the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. Now you got to love this because, you know, verse 14, basically, you know, you have the word of God, you have the means to carry it out. Uh, and, and then you have, you know, the, uh, letting you go. And now all the materials for worship. I mean, you just have everything, uh, you know, and, and everything that they need to do that. Um, I compare that to today. Today we have the Word of God, yes, and we have the means to carry it out. Well, it's not silver and gold and going to the temple and sacrifices and everything. We have the Holy Spirit, right, to carry out what the Word of God, what the Lord puts in our hearts and our lives to carry it out. He gives us what we need. Just like Ezra's provided everything and all the other people going back with him, you know, everything that they need to carry it out and, and to worship the Lord and to do all the things that God called them under the Old Covenant, man, is given to them. But you know what? It's no less true today. Uh, you know, we are given the Holy Spirit to carry out the will of the Father and the work of the Father and the life the Father has called us to live. Um, you know, He has everything there, and yet we don't have the silver and the gold and this and that, but you know, we have something so much superior to that, which is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Can't even compare. But it's, it, but it's a great illustration of, you know, in the Old Testament, what's the reality in the New Testament. Verse 21, And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that wherever, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently up to 100 ta talents of silver, and 100 cores of wheat, and 100 baths of wine, and 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God, uh, of, the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? So again, we've given them all this, and if they need more, you know, the tax money that you guys collect beyond the river, you give it to them and, you know, here, up to this amount. Now, again, beyond the river, we've talked about this before. So in the Persian Empire, you can see on the left, they considered everything, you know, on that side of the Euphrates close to the, the Mediterranean Sea beyond the river. You can see where it is on the map. So, you know, everything that's in that area over there beyond the river um, you guys that are ruling over there, your Persian governors and leaders and all that kind of stuff, if they need something, they come to you, you make sure it happens. You know, the tax money that you collect, you give it to them out of that. And, and again, um, you know, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, supplying everything and even an abundance uh, of whatever they might need, not just for the trip or for a short period of time, but something that would be very significant. And again, we'll read in chapter 8 next time that the king and his leaders also will give more wealth. They'll personally give some things, and then other people that don't go with them will also give them. So we'll talk about how much was actually taken back to Israel with Ezra and that group that went with him in chapter 8. But the bottom line is the king says to everybody that was over there in that area that you know ruled the Persian authority is, don't drop the ball on this. Make sure they get what they need. Can you imagine if the mayor of Watsonville said that? Make sure those churches get what they need. <laughs> or the supervisors for Santa Cruz County, or the mayor, or the governor of California, or the president of the United States, or the people in Congress, or our state 
assembly or whatever. Yeah, make sure the churches get what they need. You know, this is, let's get this, make sure everything is... <laughs> just kind of short circuits your, your thinking. Um, uh, Ethan and I have a kind of a love for... My son Ethan and I have a kind of a love for history. And, you know, we like to watch things on history. And we were reading... Um, uh, we were watching, I'm sorry, uh, something on... Uh, it's a, it was like a three-part special or something on... on um, General MacArthur, that uh, when he went to Japan and he basically, um, you know, uh, J Japan was defeated, they gave up unconditionally, and then he had to restore, um, you know, should he, should he keep the emperor in power? Should he get rid of him? It could cause riots. You know, should we, you know, there's these war criminals. How do we arrest them? How do we take care of them? But how do we keep the people on our side? And so there was all this, uh, you know, thing going on, and, and uh, we, were, we were watching all that, which was pretty amazing to think about, but I told Ethan, I said, what they don't share with you here is that General MacArthur, when he landed in Japan, he made a call to the churches and he said, basically, the United States, we need 50,000 missionaries over here right now. These people are broken. These people are, you know, they uh, all their traditions and the emperor and all that that they grew up with for generations and everything has been broken. They see that system is wrong. They see they're just, they're left so empty in so many ways, how they used to do things with their traditions and everything. We need you over here. And uh, sadly, the church never answered that call, but we know who answered the call was American businesses, didn't they? And they went over there and they started opening up places of business and teaching the Japanese and opening up manufacturing there and using the people. And now look at Japan, you know, it's this huge, you know, business, this little islands, there's business conglomerate known so much and have a lot of financial power. And can you imagine if, if the church had responded, you know, how powerfully they could be maybe as a, as a Christian nation and spiritually speaking. And, and, you know, I, I can't help but think of the, you know, the application here, you know, you know, just don't drop the ball on this. It needs to happen. And the king's given Ezra encouragement, I believe that, and the leaders as well, you know, get this done. And we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. And let's finish up verse 24. And we also inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, custom on any of the priests, Levites, singer, gatekeeper, Nephilim, or service of the house of God. And if Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, sets magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the law of your God, and teach those who do not know them. <laughs> you got to love this. No taxes, baby. <laughs> yeah, and if only, right? And then you, you know what? Ezra's going to set up leaderships and people that can teach the Bible. They can teach the Word of God to those that don't know it. You have authority to set them up and to make sure they rule righteously. And then he says in verse 26, Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. So the king basically puts the threat down here. Listen, you, you make sure that everybody in my government respects the work of Ezra. Man. What's that song? I can only imagine. <laughs> imagine living a, you know, where you had that kind of blessing from the government. But anyway, one day it'll be so much greater. Verse 27 said, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers. So this is Ezra's kind of response to all this, right? This letter and everything's going on. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And he has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And they were a powerful empire for sure. Very wealthy, hugely wealthy. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. And so Ezra is certainly encouraged, not only by the king's support, but more because it was clear evidence that the Lord God was supporting and blessing and moving in this way. 
and he found great encouragement knowing the hand of the Lord was upon him, as do we all, right? Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this great introduction to Ezra, Lord, and the great application it has for our lives, Lord. May we learn from this. Father, may we grow in the areas that you've spoken to our hearts, Lord. May we just be faithful in them. Help us, Lord. You've given us your spirit to accomplish this, Lord. Help us to rely on him and trust in him, Father, and and be diligent and being faithful as you've called us to be, Lord. And we know that you'll make this all possible. And we know as we're faithful, Lord, just the encouragement will continue to roll in. And as obstacles comes up, Lord, you will send encouragers and help us to, to listen to those and to be encouraged and to be faithful. For we ask this in Jesus' name.